Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that our sponsor for this episode is Studio. They are trying to revolutionize the way people see headphones as not just a tech device, but also as an accessory. Currently, the headphone market can seem to only offer you one of two things, style or tech. Well, they are making it easy, so you don't have to choose between the two. Listen for their spot later on in the show. Enjoy the episode, guys. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We got all people in some form or another. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Welcome to the Bad Days Crimecast! Yeah, yeah! I'm Vicky. I'm Janelle. And this is a very, 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 very special episode. It is. So you, I couldn't even add enough berries in there oh my gosh. to describe how special this episode mm-hmm. is. Yeah. <laughs> is, was, and will be. Is, was, and will forever be. Because... This is our one-year anniversary. Happy anniversary <laughs> of the Bad Taste Crime Cast. Yay. So, if you've listened to us before, welcome back and thank you for joining us on our very special day. And if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. What an episode to join in! I know, right? <laughs> it's amazing. We're still here. And, yeah, <laughs> we've we almost didn't make it. So no. I have <laughs> to tell you guys, Janelle totally blew it out of the park with celebrating <laughs> our one year. She texted me a couple weeks ago and was like, so I'm going to have some little surprises. And I thought, oh, dear God, because it's never, I don't even, Janelle is just, I'm every time it's a surprise, yeah, totally. <laughs> so she got an amazing cake. That was delicious. We're going to post pictures of it to Facebook. Always with the treats. <laughs> yes. If we haven't already. I'm sure we've already posted pictures by the time this is yes, going up. By the time this comes yeah. up. There will be. The cake was evidence. amazing. It tasted delicious. She got me a two old spinsters mug that currently has <laughs> champagne in it because she also brought champagne <laughs> to celebrate, which we've been drinking for at least half an hour. Prosecco, so. because I'm Italian. <laughs> Whatever. We get it, Janelle. You're Italian. (laughs) I just like the way it tastes better. So she's excited to say the least. Yeah. I've already okay, so let me let me set the scene for you. (laughs) I have a standard sixteen ounce glass and I filled it halfway with champagne. And I am almost done. (laughs) No mixer. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. She. What, what time is it? I think you literally the came morning. in and was like, you were like, I want to get full drunk today. I'm going to go right full, like, like a real anniversary. Mm. I'm going to get super drunk. It's the paper anniversary. <laughs> right? I tried to I, give her, I tried to give her my garbage, but she didn't want it. It was paper I was, garbage. Yeah. I wasn't fair. sure what kind of anniversary it was supposed yeah. to be. Um, It's paper, but I was looking through the list and there are some real, real fucking weird anniversaries. Do you know that your third anniversary is leather? Leather? Leather. I'm sorry, what? Uh, Am I getting... What kind of leather? Yes, what's in chains? (laughs) my first thought. And then there's like a list between the US and the UK. Is it true? Of course, it would be different. It would. So for the US, the sixth anniversary is iron. And for the UK, it's sugar. Ooh, I want that UK anniversary. What? It's like a box of sugar cubes? I don't understand. You can get candy. 
But you get candy like, on like Valentine's literally Day. all sugar. Yeah, but it would be extravagant know. candy. I'm just like sugar. You get candy from the best candy makers in the what world. The heck. And then it's just like the first like the first year through the 15th year is just garbage. Is it literal gar- does it just say like just like wood garbage bronze garbage pottery garbage tin garbage what the fuck are you going to get me that's tin <laughs> garbage <laughs> tin garbage all garbage <laughs> cotton excuse you we better not bring cotton to our anniversary i'm really glad that you decided to bring an actual cake instead of a paper cake yeah. that would have just been like really cruel i had this idea and i was like i have to get us a cake cuz what says nice. anniversary I mean, the it's cake like literally cake. says anniversary on it. It's yeah. written on the cake, and it says anniversary. Yeah. I had a really it's fun amazing. time ordering it. <laughs> number 35. Design number I 35. Call, I called up this bakery in Elgin. They have amazing cakes, Herb's Bakery. Definitely check it out if you're in the area. I was like, so I have to get an anniversary cake, but, like, the theme that I'm asking for, it's going to be a little weird. And I, like, giggled. I was like, <laughs> I was like, can we... <laughs> I was like, I was like, I could like it's murder. Um, it's so cheeky. I'm like, do you? Can we do like police tape? He's like, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, we have a cake that's got like a similar theme. It's uh, page thirty five. It's a uh, a crime cake. <laughs> and I was like, is that the title? That's perfect. The crime a cake. crime cake. Yes, it's and it was delicious. And it changed it to murder cake. It had raspberry filling, legs, blood spatter all over it. Fuck yeah. It's like, I felt so weird. Like, oh, yeah. Could you also add blood spatter, please? Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> ah, but he was still. It. Thank you so much, Herb's Bakery. <laughs> They're like, whatever, give me your money. Yeah. It's fine. We do murder cake. It was delicious cake. Murder cake central. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure you guys are like, shut up and get to the murder already. <sighs> we'll get there. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. Our news story today comes from Araquipa, Peru. Sure. <laughs> you know how I am. Araquipa. Um, Araquipa. Is how you're supposed to <laughs> Araquipa. Um, so a man named Ruben Canejo. Warning on Kanye? this one. Canejo. <laughs> Kanye is a hoe. <laughs> uh, fair warning on this one. This is going to get a little gruesome. But oh, no. Ruben Canejo, I don't want to throw it up. <laughs> was arrested on suspicion of the murder of his of his wife, Yubitsa Lorena, by using a 16 inch mortar bomb on her in the manner of a sex toy. Now that's a real sex bomb. The couple oh. had been drinking, <laughs> obviously. Yes, but like. Wow, who has mortars laying around? In People in Peru, I okay. guess. To be fair, South America is like the homicide capital of the world. So that's true. I guess. Um, apparently, he told police that they had gotten intoxicated during a night out, and they came home feeling frisky. I wonder if it was their anniversary too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Might have been. Uh, in South America, your first anniversary is your mortar. Your mortar anniversary. Cadillo <laughs> said that Lorena asked him to use objects from around their home as sex toys. Um, Again, apparently, one of those player. within reach was a deactivated mortar bomb that, Obviously for not. some weird reason, they just had lying around their house. Right? It's just a coffee table accessory at this point. Uh, yeah, apparently. Um, the next morning, he woke up and found her unresponsive and bloody on the floor and called for emergency services. And they 
the officers got to the residence and found the blood-splattered mortar bomb in a handbag along with other impromptu marital aids and pubic hairs. Marital aids. Can you please take impromptu? I think the word impromptu is really important there. <laughs> impromptu marital aids. Yes. If we could just design, have a sex toy company called Marital Aids. <laughs> Let's get on that. Um, the police chief, Javier Arena, <laughs> described the bomb as being around 16 inches long and two inches wide. Yeah, I'm just going to let that sit out there. I'm just going to let that sit out there. And I guess they also found painkillers as well that were used to, like, reduce the pain. Um, uh, well, wait, I have so many questions. Yeah, so I'm just going to put this out there. We do not recommend using objects around your home as sex toys. Unless they're sex toys. Just get actual sex toys and use them, not uh, the mortar bomb that's sitting on your bedside table. I just... What? But how? What? (laughs) And that's our news story for today. Oh, God. Yes. Okay. Can we just go Netflix and kill them? Yeah, let's do Netflix and kill this. Let's do that. (laughs) Yeah, more news. Spoiler warning. um, Today on Netflix, this has kind of turned into a game for me because I'm kind of like, so what can I put on Netflix and kill that Janelle hasn't actually watched yet? Good luck. (laughs) So you have to go deep into Netflix. I get, you know, I get it sometimes, occasionally. It's like one out of 10, I think. That's (laughs) that's, not great. this week, we are talking about Natasha Kampusch, the whole story. Did not see that. Um, so this one is about a Viennese child who was kidnapped and held captive in a basement before escaping after eight years. And she comes out and tells her story of being held captive. <laughs> it's um, some of it's subtitled. I always like to throw that warning in there. But very good. It's essentially her in front of a camera telling her story of being held captive um maybe about an hour hour and a half long but it's pretty interesting they show a lot of crime scene photos of he was literally like the door to where he was keeping her was behind a safe in his garage and after so long he was actually taking her out and she was like helping him with chores before she finally got the nerve to kind of escape and run away it's very good insane eight years of being held captive but yeah very, yeah, very good. I mean, Elizabeth Smart mm-hmm. did the same thing with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many, there's so many girls that were. It, that's such a sad story, though. But I do yeah. remember reading an article about that. Yeah, because it, it happened at the same time as another one in the U.S. And I think that was like they were highlighting like sex trafficking, slavery kind of issues. Um, yeah, but I'll definitely check that out. I was binge watching Flint Town. Have you? Seen I haven't started that oh quite God. yet because I've. <laughs> oh my God, I was you. telling you before we recorded what I've been watching on Netflix. Right. We won't talk about it here, but <laughs> um, yeah, no, I have not quite gotten to that yet. It's really good. Yeah, I watched it in a day. <laughs> of course, There's eight episodes. Not surprising. Um, Are they all like yeah. an hour all hour long? Yeah, they talk a lot about the water crisis. Um, a lot of just how the town has become worse than Detroit if that's even possible. Yeah. Um their crime rate is the highest in the nation. Right. It and they had what at the time that they were recording this, they had 90 police officers for a population of 100 
thousand. Wow. And honestly, from what I could tell from the trailers and the previews and stuff I've seen, and you can tell me since you've seen it, it does seem like they attempt to at least provide a view from all angles almost. They had a lot of commentary from police officers and citizens Mm -hmm. and um, just kind of everybody, you know, it doesn't seem to be leaning one way or the other no, politically or, you know. You definitely hear a lot of oppositional opinions. Yeah. Um, it also kind of covers a little bit of the election. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets really interesting because there is, you can tell the racial divide between the department because a lot of the white officers were voting for Trump and a lot of the African-American officers were voting for Hillary. Mm-hmm. So it is... It gets a little heated in the middle of the series, but it is definitely, definitely a good series to watch. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I'm definitely going to have to get to soon, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yes. Um, <laughs> do you, you had something else off the top, right? Yeah. So um, we would like you to stay tuned after the episode because we're going to announce the winner of the iTunes review contest. Ooh, I hope you um, all loved reviews. Yeah. So I don't want to like let it out too early. It's going to be like a last minute we're going to make in. you listen to the whole goddamn yeah. thing. Because um, this episode is amazing because it's one of our favorite topics of it is. all time. It is. <laughs> it's actually really relevant right now. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Because there's a series coming out about it on Netflix. Is there? In, Yeah. By the time this airs, it'll be out already. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> I don't know if I knew that. Did you send me a link to that? You might have sent me a link I to that. I don't know if I did, but I definitely posted it on Facebook. Yeah. My personal Facebook. I'm actually, I didn't know that. I'm really excited yeah. now. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that was not intent. No, that I was not intentional. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, super relevant topic. <laughs> so yeah, stay tuned after the show and we'll announce the winner of our iTunes Yay-ya. contest. Sorry, I keep slapping this table with my chair. It's okay. Hard. It's, it's aggressive. Champagne makes me aggressive. So on that note, this is the part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Um, This one's actually not too terrible, but, you know, just in case. Yeah. In Um, case you're triggered by anything that we talk about. In case yoga triggers you. Yoga. And organic gardening triggers me. Yeah, speaking of which, I started doing a little yoga. Yay. Only well, mainly because we're I'm going to Nashville in a couple of weeks. Love Nashville. And we're doing goat yoga while we Stop are there. Your yeah. self. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Oh my god. Please take all the pictures and oh, I'm send sure them to will. me. I'm sure we will. I, we're going with some people who are very into, you know, Instagram, mm-hmm. Snapchat, social media, etc. Yeah. So I'm sure there'll be a gazillion pictures around of goat yoga. All right. I, I fully prepared. expect also to have like yoga related jokes coming back with you, like Namaste good over here. Or mm. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I don't know about that. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that's your that is your thing. That's my thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. If you say so. So why don't you tell us what we are covering today, girl? So guys, you know how much we love MF and cults, right? I'm trying not to swear so much so your mother doesn't get offended. No, <laughs> oh my god, that's she funny. made me fully aware of how much I do so say that word. She like, came to me and was like, lot. "I have something I want to send to Janelle." She showed it to me. And I was like, "Yes, do yeah. it." I was like, "Yeah." I'm so proud. Yeah. I'm like a proud mother. Um, so we love cults. We do. And um, for this episode, we decided that we were going to cover Rajneesh Param. Yeah. Does that ring any bells? Anyone? Anyone? Rajneesh Param. Bueller? No? Bueller? Okay. Bueller. Um, yes. It's an amazing cult that um, wound up being in Oregon. So 
it's gonna get real juicy and weird. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna like kind of give you a little background of the leader of the cult and kind of his like beliefs, and then we'll get to the nice juicy the nitty gritty. Right. It's my favorite part. That is my favorite part of this whole thing. So there is a um, Netflix series coming out about this. I think it comes out the 18th of March. Um, So by the time this airs, it'll already be out, and I'm sure I'll probably have watched all of it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of those that I will jump on immediately. But I also remember vaguely, I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw a documentary about this, because the more I started reading, I'm like, this sounds so familiar. And then I remember there was a PBS episode uh, like a mini documentary. Yeah. So I went in search of that and I found it again. I rewatched it. Nice. And then um, I don't know if you're familiar with 99% Invisible. 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 Right? 99% Invisible. There's also Invisibilia. So yeah. I mix them all the time. So 99% Invisible did a really good episode as well. So I um, listened to that. I was trying to have more like information come at me than just the internet mm-hmm. <laughs> um there's also a really good book um by a former like member of the cult uh paul morant and it's called escape from rajneesh param so that's something um you can Ooh. check out definitely and um from the reviews i was reading it sounded really really good yeah um yeah, it's always interesting to get the perspective of the people that were in the cult because yes. there are people who still follow him to this day that still oh, yeah. believe in it. Yeah. And then there are the people who had a falling out with it and were just like Yeah, and he still no. has, there's still some organizations that are like oh, on yeah. a massive scale. We'll mm-hmm. talk about those later. Oh yeah. So the leader of the cult is I'm gonna probably butcher his name, but that's okay. Uh Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh. Nope, that was Bhagwan. perfect. That Bhagwan. was perfect. Bhag- okay. Yep, Bhagwan. Bhagwan. Um, this is was, one I actually know how to pronounce yeah. for once. Well, I kept hearing it, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. But yeah, it's Bhagwan. Bhagwan. Um, he was born in 1931 in Raisin District of Madhyaha Pradesh State in India. I hope I said that right. Probably not. I couldn't tell you on those. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, he was one of 11 children, so really, really big family. Um, he actually lived with his grandparents for a long time in the beginning of his life. I think until he was, um, eight, he lived with them full time. Um, and then his grandfather died. So he went back to live with his parents and the passing of his grandfather kind of set off this, uh, thing inside of him to be like obsessed with death because also at that same time, his cousin died. He had a bunch of friends that died, uh, other family members. So he was seeing all this death around him and he kind of became like really obsessed with death and the afterlife and what happens to you after you've passed away. So this kind of was like the jumping off point of his obsession with just enlightenment and, you know, the beyond your yeah. your life beyond right now. Yeah, and I think um, honestly in India there's just a big culture of that in right. general. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean 8 years old is really early to become yeah. of death. But, oh yeah. You know. Um, so he started to kind of experiment with several organizations trying to kind of find his own path. Um, he became an anti-theist. He took interest in hypnosis and briefly associated with a socialism group, um, and two Indian nationalist organizations, uh, the Indian National Army and the, oh my God, I'm going to butcher this so bad, the Rashtriya Shramasavak Sangh. 
That was pretty good. Sure. Swamasavak. Yeah, I think that's sure. Pretty good. Just keep saying it over Solid. and over again. I'll believe <laughs> so you. Say it, say it confidently and I will believe you. Yeah. Um, so these groups were more political-based, um, kind of talking about uh, Indian independence, um, because obviously, if you know anything about Indian history, they're a colony of Britain for, like, ever. Right. So. <laughs> um, but then, in 1951, at age 19, uh, Rajneesh began his studies at Hit. Oh my god. Why are all of these names so difficult? Hitkriani College in Jabalapur. I know that name, Jabalapur. Uh, <laughs> he studied philosophy, obviously, because he was, you know, just so into enlightenment. Right. So, so much so. into enlightenment. He was, like, so into enlightenment. So much so that he claims that he became enlightened on March 21st of 1953 at the age of 21. Wow. He was just like, I'm enlightened. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, think back to when we were 21. Yeah. Well, and something to note. I don't want to think back to when we were 21. Yeah, I'm just um, going to move on from this. Uh, <laughs> something to note about the general, like, theory of enlightenment is, there, I, generally, the idea is that it could take your entire life to reach enlightenment. And you might not. And you might not even reach enlightenment at that right. point um, for most of the, you know, religions or belief systems that mm-hmm. have that kind of, um, you know, stepladder up. Yeah. But... So reaching it at twenty one is something. Yeah, I think he chose enlightenment at twenty one. Yeah, um, <laughs> I choose to so, be enlightened. Now. I know enlightened. He said that he had a mystical experience while sitting under a tree in the Bahartal Garden in Jabalapur, which is like a huge garden, like a communal garden. Okay. Um. So yeah, he's like, I'm enlightened. I'm good now. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to sit under this tree. I'm going to sit under this tree and be all in line and shit. Um, so he actually earned a bachelor's and a master's in philosophy. And after his studies, he would travel all of India giving lectures. Um, and his lectures often attacked socialism and Gandhi, which everyone's like, oh, no, not Gandhi. But fun fact about Gandhi, he was a pedophile. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Um, he tried to marry a 14-year-old girl when he was in his 30s. Not surprising. So you know. He's mm. so enlightened that age has no meaning mm, or yeah. loss. Yeah. I mean, sure. I think there's a large problem with child marriage in yeah. India. Yeah. So <laughs> is that it's yeah. actually not as surprising we, as I think when it. We, when we think of that, that's like, oh, he's a pedophile. But in that yeah. culture, it's that's like what you do. But yeah, definitely... Not great. I mean, he may be enlightened, but not enough so to realize that that's wrong. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Unless maybe that 14-year-old's enlightened. Enlightenment is above the laws. Hey, maybe she was an enlightened 14-year-old girl, and he was like, you're on the same level as me. Get on my level. So, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Woof. Yikes. Okay. He also stated that in order for India to progress as a nation, they needed capitalism, science, modern technology, and birth control which i thought wow that's Solid. really forward thinking for a person in that time period this is like late 50s early 60s to be so open in a country especially this country mm-hmm. to talk about how birth control is necessary yeah and that we shouldn't be having these large families he talked a lot about that like the family structure um 
He also wrote two books about sex and love, and then people started calling him a sex guru, and he was later, like, you know, stated that this wasn't an important part of my teachings. It was just, you know, something that I had talked about briefly because he was really focused on family traditions and family values. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people called him a sex guru, and he's like, that's not... That's interesting, because a lot of his, like, kind of out there shit has to do with sex and exactly so he the this is but okay (laughs) not a sex guru this is the difficult part about researching him in his early days in india he had the exact opposite views of what he taught at his commune slash cult in oregon so strange it's like all of a sudden when he came over into the united states he just like did a 360 and just like nope I'm going to just say the opposite of everything that I've been teaching. Can I just say, that's what freedom does to you. <laughs> right? You get a good old <laughs> dose of freedom inside of you. Oh, dear God. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> you know that freedom isn't free, Vicky. Oh, dear God. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <sighs> anyway. I'm so sorry. What happened? We were talking about enlightenment. <laughs> we were talking about freedom. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. Okay. So... Um, at a public meditation event in spring of 1970, Rajneesh presented his dynamic meditation method for the first time. So this is what he would become super well known for and his basis of everything that he taught. Um, he also, this is something that's a little interesting. He also said that he was not to be worshipped himself, but regarded instead as a catalytic agent, sort of as a sun encouraging a flower to grow. Okay. okay. But we're going to start talking about his time in Oregon, and it's going to be the exact opposite. He's going to be like, his picture's going to be everywhere. People are going to be praying to him. It's just like. This already, this, weird... this, as it stands right now, sounds not as culty as like right. it actually ends up to be. This is like, exactly. okay, I can go along with this. You exactly. know what I mean? This isn't. He just, he basically went around teaching meditation classes mm-hmm. and talking about family values, which, sure. There's general no life deal. lessons that everybody can get yeah. behind. He wasn't, you know, claiming to do, to be a guru or anything like that. Right. But, but then eventually you'll see it does a complete change. Um, so that uh, following year, 1971, he started his first commune, uh, Poon Ashram, in India. The ashram started the day at 6 a.m. every morning, and they continued with meditations for hours. They had lectures. They would do, like, a full vegetarian lunch. Then they would go back into meditation. It was just this huge schedule. And they were just, like, working really, really hard to become enlightened. Mm -hmm. As Uh, you do. kind of like a school of enlightenment, if you will. Sure. Um, So this kind of lecture series and meditation group kind of started attracting people from the West. So there were tons of visitors coming to visit the ashram, and this led to them needing to expand. So this would be kind of the common occurrence in all of Rajneesh's life. Like, he wants to expand his, you know, empire, and Mm -hmm. he gets met with all of these difficulties. Mm -hmm. So... Um, by 1981, right before his move to the U.S., uh, Rajneesh's ashram hosted 30,000 visitors per year. Dang. Um, and then their expansion was fought against, and it created a great deal of tension. Um, so they weren't actually able to expand it at all in India. Um, 
So this is another reason that he's like, I need to find a place where I am able to grow a more global community. Fun fact, the uh, Poon Ashram is still open in India, and it's changed its name, but you can go and visit it. It's called the Osho International Meditation Resort, and they still do the exact same stuff. Mm-hmm. Meditation and lectures and wonderful vegetarian lunches. Yeah. <laughs> All about the vegetarianism. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, so we're talking a little bit about his beliefs. Um, they're very confusing at times. He kind of goes back and forth between these ideas, and it's a little daunting, to be honest. Um, he had a lot of thoughts on human, like, egos and humankind. Um, he kind of believed that everyone, every being, is a Buddha already. Okay. They have a capacity for enlightenment, they are capable of unconditional love, and of responding rather than reacting to life. So, um, kind of coming at everything with an open mind, uh, an open heart, that's another big thing, open mind, open heart. Mm-hmm. Um... But the ego is usually what prevents this from happening. So we start identifying with social conditions, we create false needs, and it's a conflict of what we think we should be or our identity and kind of the barrier of our dreams. So there's this confusion in our mind of like, okay, I should be this way, but all these barriers are my way to achieve this. So I'm going to try and tackle these but really, you're chasing after something that is already false. Okay. That is not you, or you'd already be there kind of a thing. All right. Um, this yeah. all sounds like generally good advice. Yeah, right? It doesn't sound Pretty good life crazy. lessons. It's, yeah. like, it's basically saying, get over your fucking self. <laughs> like, Just do it. That's, um, yeah. that's what I took away from this. Yeah. Uh, get over yourself. He also argued that psychological repression, often advocated by religious leaders, um, makes suppressed feelings reemerge in another guise, and that sexual repression resulted in society's obsession with sex. So we put all these puritanical views on ourselves: don't show your ankles, don't show your cleavage, don't do this, don't do that. A man and a woman shouldn't be affectionate in public. Mm-hmm. Because we put all these restrictions on ourselves, then we become obsessed with the thought of sex because we are repressing everything that's associated with it. Okay. So, right? Doesn't sound crazy. Like, if you're constantly covering up your tits and you're just like, I you're just gonna know think about tits, tits all the time. Like. Yeah, you're just going to think about tits all the time. So. All right. Fair. <laughs> you know? Logical. Yes. I get yes. it. Okay, that doesn't sound crazy to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, he also presented meditation not just as, like, a practice, but a state of awareness to be maintained in every moment. So, a total awareness that awakens the individual from sleep of mechanical responses conditioned by beliefs and expectations. So, from what I was taking away from this little snippet, was you use the meditation to help heighten your awareness to the world around you. And you should use it as a tool to help become enlightened. And it's not just something you do to quiet your mind, it actually awakens the sort of subconscious instead of a lot of people look at meditation as a calming of yourself okay Um, but it's really awakening your subconscious the deeper thoughts in your mind i went way deep into this that i mean (laughs) that makes sense Mm -hmm. these things do not sound really that like nothing nothing like bad for you you know what i mean 
right? Just like yeah. get over yourself and be aware. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, we don't have to make it so wordy like he did, but yes. that's the gist of it. So this is where his dynamic meditation <clears throat> technique comes in. So it's a five-stage technique. Um, so stage one, you're going to do a 10-minute rapid breathing, just like a... Like you're having a little mouth class, okay? Okay. <laughs> so you have two. like a like a holistic breathing yeah, um, kind like, of a thing? Yeah. Do you ever do the breathing where it's like what, through one nostril, you're supposed to breathe really deep? No. Okay. Because Try no. it for five minutes. You, d- you go one side, then the other side. You feel high. I'm not even kidding you. No. I do a lot of yoga classes, and one of the teachers that I had, she's like, deep breathing before class just like awakens your whole body because you're getting all this extra oxygen into you and it just kind of like elevates your yoga sure so take that with you when you do goat yoga okay <laughs> sure uh, sure sure you sound like a skeptic vicky <laughs> sure um so stage two is 10 minutes of catharsis okay so you're gonna run jump throttle a fucking baby you're just gonna like shake it out (laughs) go bananas just have a seizure on the floor bananas go go bananas go bananas no no we're gonna go catharsis (laughs) that's catchy (laughs) um so then after you catharsisize catharsis i like that i like that um you're gonna move on to stage three which is just a basic jump up and down with your hands raised so kind of like praising jesus just jump up and down all right (laughs) And then as you do it, you say, and I lift you up. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, do boy. It. <laughs> Wrong religion. Oh, God. I'm mixing all my religions. Uh, <laughs> then stage four is utter silence. So you're just going to be like jumping up and down and then all of a sudden just like, no. <laughs> Blank face. Silence. No movement. Just basically paralyze yourself for another 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. And then, and then the final stage, stage five is going to be 15 minutes of celebration and dance. I can get down with that. And every time I think of this, I think of like the, Jesus is just all right with me. But again, not the same religion. <laughs> but you know, in the 70s, it's like everyone's like jamming out and they're just like dancing and like, you know, yeah. in their technical or dream coats and whatnot. Oh boy. <laughs> But that was my immediate thought, and I was just like, "No." I is, have talked about Eastern philosophy. Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat more in one week than I have in probably the last ten years. By like, yeah. that's the second time somebody's brought that up, or I've brought it's that like up. It's like a this super week. relevant, like totally thing right now. Totally not at all. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was his his revolutionary meditation technique. When I think of meditation, I don't think of jumping up and down and throttling yourself and then like. Throttling yourself. It literally said throttle. Jeez. As one of the different ways to catharsisize. And I was like, do they mean like throttle or like. How does one. No, I'm sorry. What was that gesticulation you did? I'm making a masturbation gesture. Yeah. Hand pleasures. No. Hand uh, pleasures. (laughs) <laughs> no, it said throttle, and I mean it's probably like a like a shaking yourself is okay. what I think they gotcha. were trying to describe. But so, I'm like the word. <laughs> okay, I got it. You're going to masturbate your whole body. Yes, <laughs> ill. Um, no, so I'm just like that's a really poor choice of word to describe this throttle. Jesus, throttle yourself. Um, <clears throat> one of his major like beliefs was actually super duper fucking controversial. So you remember how we talked about his family values kind of thing, and he discussed, like, how birth control is super important. Right. 
he was actually more or less a believer in eugenics. So, if you know anything about eugenics, this makes all the sense. Um, Rajneesh spoke about the dangers of overpopulation, and he taught that contraception and abortion were good ways to curb this. He also stated that humans have no right to knowingly inflict a lifetime of suffering on someone. So, um, anyone who has birth defects should be eradicated. Jeez. Yeah. And he stated that life should only begin at birth. And even then, if a child is born, deaf, dumb, and we cannot do anything, and the parents are willing, the child should be put to an eternal sleep. Okay, I was with you, Rajneesh, up until now. Yeah. This is the point where I'm like, eh, not so much. He he said, um, rather than taking the risk of burdening the earth with a crippled blind child. (laughs) I'm sorry, if a child is blind, they still can breathe, walk, feed themselves, eat, like, Oh, no, you can't see. So you have to be put down like a fucking dog? Yeah. I'm sorry. That's what? fucked up. Do you want to know a fun fact, too? I don't know. Do you, Is it about eugenics, Janelle? Because I it's don't know if I want to know. It's a proponent of eugenics. Uh, okay. Do you remember Helen Keller's teacher? Yeah. She was a firm believer in eugenics. She was also blind and deaf. What the fuck? That's People. extreme self-loathing if i have ever heard it. Eugenics is bad. It's bad, okay. okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, fun. So, I'm now going to give you just his Ten Commandments, and then we're going to move on, because I can't stand any more of this information. It is going to make me cry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) After talking about killing blind children just because they can't fucking see. Don't worry, it gets a little lighter from here on out. Does it, though? I mean, kind of. (laughs) Um, So here are Rajneesh's Ten Commandments. All right. Hit me. Uh, Lightning. Thunder. Crash, crash. (laughs) Yeah, crack. Crash, crash. Lightning strike. Crash. I think you said fresh, fresh. Crash, crash. (laughs) That's my lightning strike noise. Okay. Uh, Number one. Never obey anyone's command unless it is coming from within you also. Okay. So then you should just not read the rest of this list, right? Oh... Get it? Got me there. Got it. Okay. Um, number two, there is no God other than life itself. Okay. okay. I can get behind that. All that right. sounds good. Number three, truth is within you. Do not search for it elsewhere. Yeah, that yeah. checks yeah. out, yeah. I okay. think. Sure. Uh, number four, love is prayer. Uh, what? Okay. What? Like physical love or like the love of people? I don't know. Explain this, Rajneesh. Okay. Just kidding. You can't. He's dead. Um, to <laughs> Number five. To become a nothingness, a nothingness, is the door to truth. Nothingness itself is the means, the goal, and attainment. That is difficult English. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. To become a nothingness is the door to truth. Nothingness nothingness itself is the means. Okay. The goals, the attainment. Sure. Sure. Right. Talking in circles, but all right. Um, Number six. Life is now and here. Yeah. Okay, I can get on that. All right. Number seven, live wakefully. Stay woke. It's it's hard to to live sleepily. (laughs) But sure. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Number eight, do not swim. Float down here. Sure. (laughs) The down here I added. Um, Just float. (laughs) Float, guys. Okay. Um, Number nine, die each moment so that you can be new each moment. 
Okay. Let that sink in. That's like a uh, live in the moment kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Technically, we do die each moment because we're constantly dying. I'm pretty sure I'm not dying and waking and dying and waking and dying and waking. You'd be like a real is that is that why I'm so goddamn tired all the time? Every time you go to sleep, you die and then you awaken. Fair. Ugh. Okay. And so then number ten is do not search. That which is, is. Stop and see. Now, I feel like that's really close to, um, what was the other one? Live wakefully. (laughs) Stay woke. It's like all the same. Um, So he also discouraged marrying and having children. He saw families as inherently prone to dysfunction and destructiveness, which I definitely agree with. It can be super destructive. Mm -hmm. Um, So not a lot of people had children born in the communes in Oregon, England, or India, and they passed out contraception, they offered sterilization, and abortions. Okay. Yeah, so fun. So let's talk about the commune, guys. All right. Let's get into something a little bit more fun. A little bit I mean, more fun hippie. as in a manner of speaking. In the beginning, this commune in Oregon did actually a lot of good. Before they became greedy and wanted to blow it all up. Right. Pun intended. (laughs) Um, So, after a failed assassination attempt by a Hindu fundamentalist in India, and the sort of controversy revolving around his commune expansion in India, Rajneesh decided to set his goal um, to move to the United States. Um, he originally came over here on a visa, and then there was, like, a whole big deal with his oh, like, yeah. staying and stuff, which I'll let you talk about that. Um, <laughs> so he came over here, and he set his sights on Oregon, and in 1981, he purchased land for $5.75 million. Okay, because we just have that <laughs> lying around, right? all of us. Where did this come from? Um, and isn't the exchange rate between whatever the... Money is in India be to the U.S. I highly doubt that that's a good Can't exchange be good. rate. No way. Um, so he bought a 64,000 acre farm. It's huge. That is like, what, all of Rhode Island? <laughs> Rhode Island's really small. Uh, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Um, so it was formerly called Big Muddy Ranch, which is the best name ever. <laughs> It should have been called Big Buttons. I guess it's a good descriptor. (laughs) It should be called Big Muddy Rajneesh. (laughs) They they miss opportunities. Oh, man. Okay. However, they did buy it under kind of like false pretenses um, because it was supposed to be an agricultural project. So there wasn't supposed to be any housing or really, unless it was for agricultural equipment, because that's what they bought the land for. That was the land use and the insurance that they had and all that information was all under agriculture. So mm-hmm. this would be like a, you know, indicator as to what was going to happen eventually. Um, so the property was turned into a city, basically, of almost 7,000 people. Um, the community became a full-fledged town, complete with restaurants, a mall, public transportation, a police department, a fire department, an airstrip, sewage reclamation, and a reservoir. A huge fucking reservoir. Mm -hmm. Like, massive. Yeah. Legit a town. They made a town. Legitimately a fucking town. They would also hold huge festivals and classes. They taught yoga and meditation techniques. So just like the Pune Ashram in India Mm -hmm. really started out very similar. Um, But this was kind of like everything that he wanted to do in India, he brought over here and started doing what he wanted. Yeah. um, With little regard to the law. (laughs) Um, 
fun fact, they also had their own post office and zip code. Mm-hmm. And you can look it up. It is still a legitimate zip code, it even is. though there is nothing there anymore. Um, well, I mean, there's a Christian life camp there, but who's yeah. counting? Um, <laughs> So the commune would even bus in homeless people from all over the U.S., especially veterans. This was, a, like, key. They were taking in veterans. And at this time, in the 70s and 80s, um, if we think of the stories recently of the veterans' affairs issues, um, it was, like, tenfold during the 80s, late yeah. 70s and 80s. Big These were Vietnam vets in particular, and a lot of them were displaced, no opportunities to go to college or jobs. A lot of them had crippling heroin addictions because that's what you did in vietnam to get through it um so a lot of these vets were like yeah i'll get on this bus and go all the way from cleveland ohio to oregon with you they gave me free housing free food clothing a place to live a place to shower um do some light work they didn't even have to have a full job right of course of course these people are going to do it um, but this would become super duper important later when they start to try to take over all of Oregon. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> they They want to change the state of Oregon into Rajneesh. Yes, Agon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so since the inception of the commune, it was fraught with legal issues, and they battled against the neighbors uh, in close by towns, and it got real fucking messy. Mm-hmm. So the nearby town is Antelope, which is a great name for a town. It is. And it became the target of the Rajneeshis. So they also went by sannyasas. Um, so I'm going to interchange the names a little bit. Rajneeshis and sannyasas. Which just means orange people. Sannyasa. Because they would all wear like red, violet, yellow. Like really big, beautiful, bold colors. Because they were kind of like the sun people. Right. That's what they went by. Um, so they started to buy up land lots in Antelope. And in 1982, the threat to Antelope as a town was so real that the city council tried to vote to disincorporate itself to prevent it being taken over. However, there were enough Rajneeshis on the council and in the town to vote against the neighbor, the, um, the unincorporation. Mm-hmm. And they began to kind of set forth a motion to have this neighboring city of Antelope become part of Rajneesh Param. And just one giant city. One giant super, super town. mecca city. Yeah. Su- um, super enlightenment town. Oh my gosh. So this just opened a whole can of worms. Um, an organization called 1000 Friends of Oregon, which is kind of an environmental group, denied the Rajanisha's permits for business within the city of Antelope. So as soon as they passed the measure to try to incorporate Rajanish Param into Antelope, this group just became a group. It just all of a sudden was like, nope. They got all of these signatures together. They claimed that the city was violating land use laws. And they brought it to the uh, Attorney General of Oregon. And they were like, listen, these people are trying to take over this town. They're trying to do all this stuff. It is not a legitimate city where they already are currently. They're building all of these buildings. They don't have any permits. The land is not zoned for this. Mm-hmm. Like, We need to put a stop to this. So, the Attorney General David B. Fraunmeyer maintained that the city was essentially an arm of a religious organization and that its incorporation thus violated the principle of separation of church and state. So, they said, because you're a religious-based community, you can't take over an entire town because that's a city government and you're a religious organization and you can't mix the two. Yeah. (laughs) Except go to Utah, you know. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mormons everywhere. <laughs> uh, so, in 1983, a lawsuit was filed by the state of Oregon to invalidate the city's incorporation, and there were many attempts to expand the city even further, and those were also legally blocked. Um, this kind of prompted the followers to attempt to build in the city instead. So, all those land parcels that they had already bought up, they started putting in, like, huge, massive businesses. And it was a lot of, like, media and marketing and all Mm -hmm. of these kind of like businesses that don't have like necessarily assets they're kind of just like all you know paperwork or through face-to-face contact they aren't selling physical objects yeah so this is what was kind of a little bit hard for the town of antelope to you know tell these people that they couldn't do this here or that there because you there's no ban on a marketing firm you know what i mean yeah um they also set up a trust for um rolls royces which right. I, I don't know how that works. Because <laughs> you need a trust for your Rolls Royce, of yeah, course. Of course, obviously. Um, well, if you think about it, though, Rajneesh, uh, Bhagwan Rajneesh had the largest collection of Rolls Royces in the world. He had 93 Rolls Royces. Yeah, it was yeah. the amount of cars that he had was nuts it, yeah. for no reason. For someone who's so enlightened, why do you need a Rolls Royce? To just ride matter. around the towns. Yeah. Ugh. So. Um, when sufficient numbers of Rajneeshas registered to vote in the city of Antelope, they won the referendum on the subject, um, like, building in the commune. So mm-hmm. they passed the the ability for the commune to expand, basically, because a bunch of those people, like, thousands of people went from the commune over to Antelope, started living there, went on the council, became members. Right. And they were just like, it's passed. Yeah. So there's a lot of backhanded yeah. dealings and a lot of Slow shady takeover governmental of things yeah. happening. Um, so the Rajneesh Param community believed that the fellow communities and residents were bigots and they were religiously intolerant. Uh, fundamentalist Christian groups took aim at the commune and they started several petitions to have the group removed. Um, the group took over as much of Oregon as they could and sent groups to several states and even other countries to spread the word. So they had communes all over the place. England, like, all over the East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. I mean, they were everywhere. Totally. So, um, Bhagwan then started to go into a period of silence. Um, and he would often just drive around in his 93 Rolls Royces and just kind of, like, greet people and just be like... Like, if you could see my face, it's just like a dumb, She did, like, like, this princess wave kind of a... (laughs) Right? Yeah. And he would just, you know, he would make recordings by himself, giving it to his his little helper slash wife, Sheila, and she would play it for everyone publicly, and that was it. So, during this time, he also kind of had a really bad asthma, and his diabetes was acting up, so this silence period was also kind of a period of rest to kind of get his body back together. And um, while he was resting, his right-hand woman, Ma'anan Sheila, became the leader, so to speak, and she spoke out against all this violence and all this stuff against them. And this was kind of where it all started to go downhill. Yes. (laughs) 
So Vicky's going to tell to, you to go downhill. Yes, Janelle, I she would... gets all the gushy, interesting. Yes, stuff. yes, <laughs> I do want to talk about that. But first, <laughs> I want to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Studio. Studio. Yes, that was, that was it. <laughs> that that was basically it. Yeah, you heard us talk about them at the top of the show. They are a company focused on Scandinavian design and beautiful sounding headphones yes. at a reasonable price. I would say. Oh yeah. Um, we recently got their Regent models. Oh my god! Holy shit, Old they were amazing. Headphones. They amazing. were so comfy, right? They were. I put them on and was like, "These are like little pillows for exactly. my ears." And what I really love about them is that they fold up. Mm-hmm. They have interchangeable caps on the outside. You can make it fit your fashion. It's just they really are fashionable. They have this. It's we got a pair that was white, and then it had these gold trim spots. Oh my gosh, super fancy! I felt like Mariah Carey oh, in the stupid booth trying to be like oh i'll tell you (laughs) my favorite part was i so i literally at work listen to podcasts eight hours a day oh my god and i have such a hard time like i normally have headphones plugged into my phone or Mm -hmm. like i just got a pair the battery life on them is not super great can i tell you how horribly violent i am with cords with cables (laughs) pulling about everything the old headphones i had I would listen to my phone on the plane like when I'd go to visit my sister, mm-hmm. and I would get so angry at the cord getting all turned up and mixed up and connected to my keys that I would literally just be like, no, and chuck it, <laughs> chuck it on the floor. I hate cords. Yeah. So these headphones, the Regent, they are Bluetooth. And my favorite part is that they have 24 plus hours of battery, active battery life and 20 days of standby. And this is legit. I didn't have to charge them for four days after using them. I still haven't charged all them. All day at work. And how long have I had them? Yeah. They yeah. are legit. Like you said, there's no cable you have to worry about. No. If you do prefer to plug it in, it comes with an aux cable that you can plug into your device. That? No. Nobody. Nobody, because Bluetooth is where it's fucking at. Yes. And I mean, they they don't just have the region. They have like four other styles. Yeah, they have like a, a sport model. Everyone. And just They're like a regular fun, like, earbud. Swedish names. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and they also have free shipping when you order through their website, studio.com. Wide shipping. Worldwide. 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 Do you know how amazing that is to have free shipping worldwide? Amazing. Now, Janelle, that <laughs> does sound amazing. But what if I told you you could get fifteen percent off of those headphones? Shut the front door. You can. Oh my god! By going to studio.com and using the coupon code CrimeCast. That is, you can get fifteen percent off. CrimeCast. You said CrimeCast. How do you spell that, Vicky? C R I M E C A S T. Fifteen percent off. Fifteen percent off at studio.com. That's S U D I O dot com. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next crazy bit. Oh, God. The, the, this is where it gets the, the crazy shit. Real, real messed up. You thought you were just going through <clears throat> talking about enlightenment. Oh, no. Not anymore. 
<laughs> so you had mentioned Sheila, and she is a bitch's name. I'm going to say that every female name. <laughs> she is this. She becomes this really major player within the commune yeah. and the organization. She was kind of his right hand man, so to speak, right hand woman. I guess I should say right hand person. Um, We're gender neutral. Right hand person. <laughs> yes. So he was going through a lot of health issues, like you said, and Sheila was given uh, this limited power of attorney in 1981, but the limits on that were removed the following year. So in 1983... Sketchy. Yeah, super sketch. Uh, 1983, Sheila announced that Rajneesh would only speak through her from now on. And later on, he would actually say that she kept him ignorant from a lot of stuff. And honestly, that's like kind of up for debate. Some people believe that. Some people don't. It's really hard to tell. But he always claimed that she had kept him ignorant of a lot of the stuff. And she was basically like, nah, you guys are only going to hear from him through me from now on. Right. Um these years in Oregon saw a large increase in Rajneesh's uh, predictions that the world may be completely obliterated by a nuclear war or other disaster at some point in the 90s. I mean, hello. How many cults predicted that? Lots. All of them. <laughs> yeah. And it all seemed to be in the 90s, like yeah, the, 80s, the 90s, 90s. They were like really not enjoying it. Good news. We're still around past people. Yeah. Oh, if our no recordings ever get sent me. to the past. I don't know. <laughs> Um, Put this on a golden record and send me into space. (laughs) Uh, So in 1984, Sheila announced that Rajneesh had predicted the death of two-thirds of humanity from AIDS. (laughs) He had this really big emphasis on, and this seemed to be after he came over to the United States, like you said, on like AIDS and HIV Mm. and this kind of like AIDS, HIV panic that was happening. Um, so that was a thing that he also Yeah, I didn't read about thought. that. that yeah, there was some crazy up. stuff. Um, his followers would now be required to wear rubber gloves and condoms when engaging in sexual activity and refrain Did from you just kissing. Say rubber gloves and condoms. Well, obviously condoms. Yes. Let's practice Which is actually safe sex. Well, the thing is is it's interesting that they even suggested condoms. It wasn't something that people were like using as a um a deterrent for the HIV virus because at the time it was the AIDS panic mm-hmm. and it was really largely thought to be a strictly homosexual right. um, disease, which mm-hmm. obviously now we know that's not the case. Right. Um, so that was also kind of a weird thing. But yeah, rubber gloves. I just, also, also rubber gloves. I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, did you forget to put the rubber gloves on? <laughs> <laughs> Where's your rubber gloves? This Don't feels like me skin. unless there's rubber gloves. Uh, So Rajneesh's followers, having previously gained political control over Antelope, were seeking two or three seats on the Wasco County Circuit Court and the Sheriff's Office that were up for election in 1984, um, after being denied the building permits for the Rajneesh Puram and all the crazy political shit that happened with Antelope. Mm -hmm. Um, Fearing that the required number of voters for this couldn't be obtained. They tried a couple of things to influence the election in their favor. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these things was the Share a Home program, which, as you mentioned earlier, they uh, basically bust in thousands of homeless people um, into Rajneesh Piram in, in an attempt to register them to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but always the ulterior motives. <laughs> just like bus, bus all your people right. in. You think that yeah. it's like, oh, this is really amazing. They're doing all this wonderful work for the homeless. And no, 
They're just looks stacking like it, the vote. but not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, Waco County actually countered this by enforcing a regulation that required all new voters to submit qualifications when they were registering to vote. That's a big big hoopla even now still yeah people are like we want physical proof that you live here right um so that obviously didn't really work out for rajesh piram in their favor at all Mm -hmm. um they now had all these homeless people that couldn't register to vote that were just hanging around the property um This So this was one of the smaller plans. The big master plan, however, was to sicken and incapacitate voters in the Dales, which was the county seat of Waco and the place where the majority of uh, the county's voters resided. Mm -hmm. So if you could take out that town, you could really influence the vote. This is some straight up mastermind shit right here. It, It really is. It's like all of a sudden shit goes really crazy, really fast. Yeah. Like really fast. It's like zero to ten. Yeah, big this time. Sheila chick is out of her mind. She's bonkers. So the main planners of this attack include Sheila, of course, and a nurse practitioner and secretary treasurer of the Rajneesh Medical Corporation named Diane Diane Ivan Anyang. Oh, I can't believe they have a corporation. Anyang, yeah. They actually have a couple of big uh, corporations. We'll find out later. So they purchased uh, salmonella bacteria from a medical supply company. I wasn't kidding. This goes know, really. It's just like, like woo, just okay, off like to the back races. Alley exchange of a guy in a trench coat with a briefcase full of salmonella. He's <laughs> just like, I got the goods. I got the goods. I got you got you the money. The sal. The salmonella. (laughs) So they get this salmonella bacteria from a medical supply company and various staff cultured it inside the commune for their quote unquote trial run of the virus plot that they had now concocted. They contaminated the produce at various salad bars around the community. (laughs) Um, They also attempted to incorporate the bacteria into the Dale's water system, hoping to use a similar technique closer to the election day. Oh, my God. So they're just trying to, like, mass poison the people of this community. (laughs) Um, Although this larger attack didn't really, like, happen Mm -hmm. when it got closer to Election Day. Um, Instead, they decided to boycott the election after Waco County foiled their plans of the Share a Home program. So they just boycotted the election. Oh, my God. On August 29th, 1984, two Waco County commissioners visited the commune and were poisoned using the salmonella bacteria. OMG! Mm -hmm. Straight up poisoned. Uh, Both fell extremely ill and were hospitalized. And then Sheila, good old Sheila, spread the salmonella on produce in supermarkets and door handles and urinal handles within the county courthouse. Although this didn't, like, really work as expected i think you can see my face and this mic wasn't in the way yeah (laughs) it's like what yeah urinal handles yeah (laughs) yeah i guess maybe there weren't as many women working in the courthouse i don't know i don't know um so that honestly didn't really have like the desired effect um so then they returned to contaminating salad bars in september of 1984 old salad bar standard this time they aimed at 10 local restaurants it infected 751 people and 45 of those were hospitalized and all survived um in case you were wondering the Symptoms of salmonella include (laughs) diarrhea, fever, chills, nausea, vomiting, headaches, abdominal pain, and bloody stool. You could also die. 
<laughs> you can also die depending on the strain of salmonella. Yeah, yeah, it's That's why you see, like hear all the listeria and stuff, which is really close to salmonella, mm-hmm. and people like kids. Yeah, dying from the shit. Oh yeah, um, victims ranged from an infant that was born two days after his mother was infected, oh and God. was given only a five percent chance of survival. Did survive. Uh, the child did survive. The oldest was uh, an eighty-seven-year-old person. Oh. Yes. My God, seven hundred and fifty-one <laughs> people. So of course, after. All of this political back and forth and all the garbage in Oregon, the local residents immediately suspected the Rajneesh's followers in the attack. And their plan actually had the opposite effect of what they were hoping for. Um, residents turned out in mass in order to prevent the Rajneesh candidate from winning. And the candidate eventually withdrew from the race. So, oops, didn't work. Nope. Um, Only 239 of the commune's 7,000 residents actually voted because most of them were not U.S. citizens. Oh, my God. Really? (laughs) Oops. That plan. Oops on that plan. To be a citizen? Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, they're not so great with immigration and and the immigration office. (laughs) Um, Of course, an investigation into the attack was started uh, with various state and federal agencies who, at first, they concluded that the outbreak had been due to improper food preparations and poor personal hygiene of the food handlers because uh, workers at the restaurant preparing the food had fallen ill before many of the customers had. Which that should be an indicator to you that there was something wrong with the produce itself and not the way that the people were handling it. Right, yeah. And again, this was like the initial investigation and that's kind of what they thought was happened because something to this scale had never happened up to that point, um, within the United States at least. Uh, this conclusion really was unsatisfactory to Oregon Democratic Congressman James H. Weaver, and he kind of like continued his own investigation on the side. Um, he contacted kind of various agencies at different times, and they all dismissed his concern as being paranoid or just like blatantly bashing the Rajneeshis, which was something that was happening a lot at the time, um, just like straight up discrimination of them. And after a few months, Rajneesh emerged from his four-year public silence at the commune. Kind of in time, I guess. He was like, oh, just going to pop my head out. <laughs> I just want to say something really quick. Um, I'm not involved. <laughs> basically, yeah. So he broke. He breaks his silence and he convenes a press conference. And he tells the media that Sheila and 19 other commune leaders had left and gone to Europe. Um. And he referred to the group as a gang of fascists. <laughs> and then he explained that he had received information that they had committed a number of serious crimes, as well as attempting to poison his his personal physician mm-hmm. um, and another female companion, as well as the Jefferson County District Attorney and the water system in the Dales, and succeeded in poisoning a county commissioner and Judge William Hulse, as well as expressing concern that they may have been involved in the salmonella ep- outbreak in the Dales. So he kind of came out and was like, I kind of got, I didn't know any of this was happening, and I kind of got this info that oh my God. maybe some of my followers might Rajneesh, have been. what are you doing? <laughs> he was sleeping. 
He was. The whole thing for four years. is really tiring. Sleeping for four years. Yes. <laughs> um, so after this, uh, this press conference, he invited law enforcement to the ranch to investigate and take a look around. So in response, the Oregon Attorney General Dave Fraunmeyer established a task force containing various organizations and agencies, including the county sheriff and the state police, the FBI, the INS, which for those not in the United States, that's an immigration naturalization service, um, and the National Guard. Coming in. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, a lot of federal organizations in there. Um, After they obtained search warrants and subpoenas, the task force entered the ranch on October 2nd, 1985, and found salmonella bacterial discs in the lab of the medical clinic, which are like the little things that you culture mm-hmm. um if you ever took yeah, a science class yeah. yeah um these were sent to the centers for disease control and prevention for testing and it was confirmed that they were an exact match to the bacteria that had infected people eating in the restaurants Yikes. Uh, in addition, their investigation revealed previous experimentations with different poisons, chemicals, and bacteria in 1984 and 85, as well as the discovery of the Anarchist Cookbook and other literature on explosives and the use of military biowarfare. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny the fact that I might possibly, but maybe not. I'm not surprised that. that you have a copy of it. <laughs> I actually just really watched a great documentary on the Anarchist Cookbook mm-hmm. where they interviewed the guy who wrote right. it. And he, had, um, he was like, I had no intention. Yeah. It was supposed to be like funny. Right. Like yeah. Farce. It's a very good documentary. Check it out. But if you don't know what that is, it's essentially a cookbook to on how to make explosives and mm-hmm incite anarchy it's hard basically. to obtain a physical copy of it anymore but yeah. there is definitely a, like a million online copies of it oh for sure but yeah. it's just i mean it's like really ingenious ingenuity and it's very comical if you actually physically read it <laughs> yeah but yeah people took it way too seriously and were using it right oh yeah and it's been i mean it's been found at like um it was found at the shooters of the columbine massacre mm-hmm. they found it at a lot of like um, didn't uh, I'm pretty sure the, the, the Unabomber Boston, the Boston bombings too that those yeah. kids with the crackpot bombs also had with a copy the of it. yeah so I mean you see it a lot for that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, as a result of this full investigation of the commune, the task force discovered an aborted plot by the Rajnishis to murder Charles Turner, a former U.S. attorney to Oregon. They were just going zero to ten. Yeah. Um, so this plot involved the leaders of the commune focusing on assassinating Charles Turner after he was appointed as head of an investigation into the group's ac- activities at Rajneeshpuram. Um, the investigation centered around sham marriages along with other illegal activity. Get them green cars, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the group of leaders first decided to put together a hit list in May of 1985. Stop leaving so much evidence. Yeah, they literally, and it <laughs> was just paperwork. like all the paperwork, all the they found like receipts and stuff in as they were investigating the Receipt. commune about all this stuff. One yeah, anarchist cookbook, 1995 <laughs> plus tax. <laughs> um, so there were nine people on this hit list, including. Um, like I said, Charles Turner, uh, Oregon Attorney General David Frondmeyer, uh, former Assistant Attorney General Karen H. Green, Wasco County Planning Director Daniel C. Duro, Wasco County Commissioner James L. Camini, investigative journalist for the Oregon, uh, the Oregonian Leslie L. Zaida, uh, 
And former member of the Rajneeshis, Helen C. Bryan, who had won a $1.7 million lawsuit against Rajneesh Foundation International, along with her daughter, Barbara J. Byron, and the Rajneeshis' former secretary, Laxmi, oh, here we go, Laxmi Thakarsi Kurua. That sounded beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the group had gathered guns and silencers at, by acquiring false identification, and then they flew to various states. I think it's they started like, in Texas, and then they went to New Mexico to get gather all these pistols and stuff. It's like we almost need gun laws. <laughs> We're not a political podcast. We're not a political podcast. Um, so they, they get all these but guns and silencers. Those have to be the U.S. citizens, though, obviously. The 29 people who well, they U.S. Did, citizens. They did have some problems because of the acquiring this false identification and just, like, showing up to okay. buy these guns. And it was, like an out-of-state identification like they had gotten the false identification from somewhere else and then went to a different state to get the guns they mm-hmm. kind of bopped from state to state to try and yeah. get all this weaponry and, and bring it back shows and stuff they don't yeah. really need identification either which is <laughs> um, a whole nother issue so they gather all these weapons and then they started surveilling uh turner at his home and his work which, of course, he worked uh, in a federal building. Mm-hmm. Um, so after all the surveillance, they kind of decided it was going to be the best to murder him in the underground parking garage of the office. And they kind of tested it. They were like trying to test out different ways of how to do this and all this other stuff. Um, this plot never like really came to fruition because Sheila... <laughs> Good old Sheila became distracted by their like political troubles within the community and like by all the salmonella she had. Yeah, it was right around the time of this whole salmonella thing. They decided they weren't gonna plan B. Yeah, salmonella. Um, there was apparently this internal struggle too of people trying to attempt to remove her from oh, her yeah. position. So She's she was like focused on that. Definitely power hungry. Oh yeah. It- <laughs> it, I watched Good old a couple Sheila. of clips of her speaking at city council meetings. Definitely check it out. Go online, Google search it. She starts like cussing and swearing and pointing her finger. I'm not and, like, surprised. She gets so close to the mic, she almost knocks over with her fucking face. Like, oh, I do that. She gets bananas. <laughs> <laughs> I do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, eventually, David Barry Knapp, who was the mayor of Rajneesh Puram, turned state's evidence and gave over all of this information that he had about the bioterrorist attack to the FBI. Um, His information included pointing to Sheila for their attacks and that she had, he said that she had talked to Rajneesh about the plot. Um, She also used a tape of Rajneesh's voice to like persuade doubters um, if they didn't think that he he knew about these plots. It was a tape of him muffled in the background saying if it was necessary to do things to preserve his vision, his vision, then do it. So they would kind of, it, it was this mix between people not believing that he knew anything about it mm-hmm. because I think they wanted to make, sh- like in their minds, wanted to distance him from this whole right. um, attack. And there was also this kind of, um, mix of people that thought it was all good because he knew about it. Like they, right. like he had known about it and given it his blessing, kind of a it thing. Sounds more like a, a lie of omission. Like, 
don't tell me exactly what you're doing. Right. But just let me know that you're doing something. Yeah. And I did I did see a quote somewhere that he had thought really his silence was key to her succeeding because by not saying anything, um, you know, he didn't have to. The less people that know, the better. Right. Yeah. Um, they also discovered an invoice. <laughs> this is where the receipts and invoices come in. Uh, they discovered an invoice from the American uh, type culture collection for microbes. And wait, so you're telling me I can mail order microbes? Yeah, oh totally. <laughs> um, for an order received of Salmonella typhi, which is the bacteria that causes typhoid fever, which is typhoid Mary, super deadly. Yeah. Um, especially now, because it's not something that's, like, really around anymore. Um, it seems, like I said, that most people outside of the commune knew that Rajesh, or believed that he, Raj, Rajneesh, had known something about the attacks. There was that mix of people within the cult thinking he did and didn't. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of the followers believed him incapable of doing or willing violence against another person and placed their responsibility solely on Sheila. But there's not really a way to know if he was involved or not because right. he wasn't speaking publicly at that time. Mm-hmm. On October 27th, 1985, Rajneesh, Rajneesh left Oregon by plane to head to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he was charged with 35 counts of deliberate violations of immigration laws. <laughs> They and honestly, it was probably because he flew, right? And they knew he was he was going to go there. Um, He did make a plea deal to plead guilty to two counts of making false statements to immigration officials. For this, he received a ten-year suspended sentence, a fine of four hundred thousand dollars, and was deported and barred from re-entering the U.S. for a five-year period. He was never prosecuted for the Salmonella attacks. Uh, which I find kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Sheila and Diane, who was the nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. um, they were arrested in West Germany on October 28th, 1985, and they were extradited back to the United States after a little back and forth between the two countries. Um, in 1986, they were charged with attempting to murder Rajneesh's personal physician. First degree assault for poisoning Judge William Hulse. Second degree assault for poisoning da- the Dales Commission, the Dales Commissioner Raymond Matthews, and I don't know what that word was that I was trying to type there. Um, <laughs> oh my god! What word is that? Beautiful. Do you think? I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know. They were prosecuted for tampering with the Dales poisonings along with uh, wiretapping and immigration offenses. So in July 1985, both women were, um, they both entered Alfred Pleas and they received... Alfred. Yeah. Which, again, if you don't know or never heard us talk about it, we've talked about it before. It's essentially pleading guilty, but not really pleading guilty, maintaining your innocence and saying that the state has enough evidence that a reasonable judge or jury would find you guilty, essentially. Um, So they both received sentences ranging from three to 20 years for the Salmonella attack. Sheila got 20 years for the attempted murder of the physician, 20 years for the first degree assault, 10 years for the second degree assault, four and a half years for the Dales attack, and... Um, four and a half years for wiretapping, five years for immigration fraud. Diane received 15 years, 15 years, seven and a half years, and four and a half for all the same stuff. 
I'm not going to go through all that again. It was a lot of time. Um, They were all to be served concurrently, but both women were released uh, early for good behavior after 29 months. I'm sorry, what did you just say? Both women were released early for good behavior after 29 months. Uh, So they got basically two years for attempted murder and assault and all of the else. Wiretapping, immigration Um, fraud, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? I'm sorry. What? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's it. (laughs) No. Um, This salmonella attack is only one of two confirmed uses of biological weapons for terrorist purposes to harm humans in the United States. Um, The other is a cult called Om Shinrikyo, and they they attempted to use anthrax and some other agents in the early 2000s. Yeah, they also bombed a subway in Japan. Yeah, I saw that. Fun fact, why Japan has no public garbage cans anymore. Weird. Yeah, you have to basically just bring a bag with you and throw your garbage away in a store. Ugh. Um, (laughs) And this is the single largest bioterrorist attack in U.S. history. Um, So this must be only one of two confirmed uses in the world. The single largest one in the United States. Yeah, we can't confirm who did the anthrax attacks in the U.S. Yeah, and it wasn't as on large a scale. Um, But this does often get compared... like. Uh, the Rajneeshis were brought up a lot in comparison when the anthrax attacks were happening, because that was kind of all we had to compare it to right. when that was happening. And Um Shimrikyo is really not very known in Mm-mm. the U.S., because obviously it was, took place in Japan, but yeah, it was a huge to-do. Yeah, definitely, maybe one day we'll do that one. Yeah, definitely worth looking into. For sure. Uh, Colts did a great episode on uh, mm-hmm. on Um Shinrikyo. Also, last podcast on the left. Yeah. Theirs was... <laughs> Very funny. Also, very <laughs> raunchy. So if you're not into that, don't listen. <laughs> uh, so following all of the attacks and the prosecution, Rajneesh returned to Delhi, India, and he was given this hero's welcome. There was so weird. a general sense that he had kind of like put America in its place. I mean, that was like kind of the general sense when he returned to India. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, he traveled to Himachal Pradesh, where he stayed for six weeks. Uh, After the visas of the non-Indian people in his company had been revoked, he decided to go to Kathmandu, Nepal, and then Crete. Huh. What? That's interesting. Why? Nepal and then Greece. Yeah. (laughs) He goes back and forth to Nepal a lot. Yeah, well, Nepal has very, very loose laws. Oh. You could basically stay there without anything. Oh, that's fair. And this is going to be the problem that he runs into in all of this, is nobody really wants him in the country, except for India. Um, so, it only took a few days before he was in re- arrested by the Greek National Intelligence Service. From there, he flew to Geneva, and then Stockholm and Heathrow, but he was refused entry in all places, and he's flying in his own plane. Right. Like, this is his own plane that's mm-hmm. flying back and forth to all these places. Um, so then he decided to try and go to Canada, but was refused entry. So he took his plane and... Canada refuses you? Yeah, right. That's saying <laughs> you know something. there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after Canada said, nah, uh, he decided to go back to refuel in Shannon, Ireland, uh, where he was permitted to stay for two weeks. And after that, he goes to Madrid, Dakar, Recife, and Montevideo. 
Um, and (laughs) these are all places somewhere in like Europe, I'm sure. Uh, most of them, uh, he was met in opposition with, he was met with opposition at all places. Um, then he moved into a house at Punta del Este where he spoke for a little while. He was doing like lectures and stuff again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I loved this quote. It said, before being invited to leave <laughs> for no good reason, oh my uh, they just invited him to leave. Like, we'd like to cordially invite you to get, get the, the fuck, fuck out, out of, of our here. country. <laughs> uh, so they invited him to leave. And so polite. So he goes off to Jamaica and then back to Madrid. And then he went back to finally Bombay, India. So he was kind of like, and this was literally within like a year, maybe he was kind of going back and forth between all these places. Um, So once he went back to India, he finally returned to the ashram in Pune and he continued teaching there. His health, however, continued to decline, and um, in November 1987, he expressed his belief that he was being, um, like, his health decline was due to being poisoned by the U.S. authorities while he was in prison. Not because of the diabetes and the asthma no. and the overall weak genetics. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was because, so the thinking was, his symptoms were mainly on the right side of his body, and the thinking was that the... I just got real squinty Yes. <laughs> that the U.S. authorities used radiation and thallium in a deliberately irradiated mattress... And he mainly slept on his right side, so like it absorbed into his right side. But they never provided any evidence that this was like true. If he mainly sleeps on his right side and he has diabetes and he's in decline, it's because your blood circulation isn't working and you need to move around. No, it's because he has a radiation radiation mattress. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Rajneesh continued his teachings through 1988. Although, by the end of the year, he didn't really want to be called Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh anymore. Um, Instead, he decided to take the name Osho Rajneesh and simply shortened it to Osho a few months later. Um, His last public discourse was delivered in April 1989, and after that, he would simply sit in silence with his followers. (sighs) And just stare at them. Just a quiet game. Knowingly. Heads up, seven up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Just before his death, he suggested one of his audience members at his meetings was subjecting him to some form of evil magic. Although a perpetrator could never be found and it was never proved. Oh my god. (laughs) But I know it's happening. Someone's infecting me with evil. Now on my left side. (laughs) Now it's on my left. Now it's on my right. Who's bringing me radiation mattresses? Uh, Rajneesh ultimately passed away on January 19th, 1990 at the age of 58. The official cause of death was heart failure. However, the commune released a statement saying his his living body had become a hell after the poisoning in the U.S. jails. Um, mm. his, his epitaph reads, 
Osho, never born, never died, only visited this planet Earth between December 11th, 1931 and January 19th, 1990. Oh my god, that is so far out. It really is. That's a very good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, basically. I was just visiting this planet, so like these dates, this isn't born and death. This is just my vacation dates. Vacation time. (laughs) Take a vacation on Earth. (laughs) I took off vacation for 50 whatever years. Um, since his death, Rajesh had actually claim, uh, received much acclaim in his homeland of India. Uh, an Indian newspaper put him on the same plane as figures as Gautama Buddha and Mahatma Gandhi, which I thought it was funny that you brought up Gandhi yeah. earlier and you said he, he wasn't like so hot on Gandhi, right? No, he did not agree with Gandhi. And it's interesting to me that after he dies, he's like compared to the man that he's like, eh, not so hot on. Yeah. Um, and this was like a list of 10 people who most changed India's history. So it was like Buddha, Gandhi, Rajneesh. Wow. Yeah. All of the enlightened people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, many have celebrated his teachings and many believe that he has found much more acclaim in his death in his homeland than he ever did in his life. Um like you said, there's still a lot of shit within the organization that happens now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of 2008 in Nepal, there were 60 Rajneesh centers and almost 400, uh, I'm sorry, 45,000 initiated disciples. His, his entire works have been placed in the Library of India's National Parliament in New Delhi. Um, his works have also continued to be published worldwide with followers like kind of redefining his contributions and reframing many of his teachings to make them appear less controversial to the outsiders. I think obviously anybody who's studying this now is probably going to know about all this crazy shit that happened in Oregon. Um, so they kind of tried to, I don't want to say water it down, but like make it a little bit more palatable to people coming into it, mm-hmm. saying it's not like super crazy. Right. Um, the Osho International Foundation even runs stress management seminars for large corporation clients such as IBM and BMW. Of course, the Germans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Ashram in Poon has become the. Osho International Meditation Resort and one of India's main tourist attractions, attracting some 200,000 people each year. Um, I think we obviously need to go on vacation there. (laughs) Do we, though? (laughs) Do we? I mean, only if our patrons pay for it. Listen to this episode all about it, and they're just like, sure, come come for free and stay. Yeah. So, that's it's not a very, like, satisfying end to all of this because it's yeah. still kind of like the, th- the thing is is the teachings in general kind of are the same that you see in most enlightenment yeah. type belief systems so I'm not surprised it's still around today but that's I mean kind of where it's at they have this foundation mm-hmm. in India and they're still you know and I mean overall the group wasn't terrible in the beginning like they just wanted to expand and have all of these different companies and I mean when they first started in Oregon they did so much good stuff for the land that they brought back like 10 species of endangered birds to Oregon yeah just by building their reservoir and having a garden yeah. like to me that sounds great you want to bring homeless people in and give them houses and food awesome right 
But well, then kind you start... of. <laughs> Until they wanted to bring those homeless people in to yeah. vote for their. Then you start stacking thing. the cards against yeah. you know everything yeah. and poisoning people. It's just like all of a sudden it goes downhill for what? Right. <laughs> and my general feeling about the organization as a whole is I think most people were in it for this kind of enlightenment thing. Yes. But there was this core group, at least of the organization in Oregon, that really were like trying to Militant take this political yeah. um like empire like make a political empire basically yeah. in Oregon. So if I, he would have never gotten together with Sheila, I think that this wouldn't have turned out like that. Yeah. I think it would have just been a commune. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, Janelle, I know that was an extra long episode. Extra long. Anniversary. It was our anniversary episode. (laughs) But if you are by chance looking for something else to listen to, why don't you check out this podcast? Oh, okay. (laughs) Hi, I'm Tawny Plattis, and I host the Dirty Bits Podcast, a show where I very casually retell the sexy, scandalous, and salacious stories your teacher probably left out. We premiere a new episode every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Visit us at tawnyvoice.com slash dirtybits to learn more. See you next Tuesday. All right, guys, that is just about it for us today. We've got a couple of things we want to cover before we get out and before we announce the winner of our contest. Yeah, you stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah, it's actually, it's going to be after the credits is probably my guess. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so stay tuned after the credits to find out who won our... I like to tease it out real long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do have, for our anniversary, one little tiny surprise more. Oh. Do you want to tell us about it, Janelle? Yeah. So, um, artist in front of the pod, Zach Colby. Very cool dude. Awesome dude. Um, he actually designed two t-shirt designs for our anniversary. Yes. That will they be are fucking cool. Drop in right awesome. now. Yeah. Um, they're really amazing. So definitely um, go to our Threadless account and check it out. They're going to be up there awesome two t-shirt designs to choose from one's more of a feminine look one's more of a masculine look. they both look fucking but awesome they are honestly fucking amazing yeah. and we want to thank zach so much thank you zach like, hey, he's so talented like, interested and he's like oh yes like, yeah definitely he's i will design shirts for sure <laughs> friend of the pod yes. zach colby so thank you very much zach, zach i cannot so wait for people to see these because they know. do really look cool so honestly fucking cool yeah so get those while supplies last yes <laughs> i like how you're just like nah. i mean they'll probably just stay up there yeah, they, but you know, you know but it's really special great. yeah, yeah special, special little thing special anniversary yes um i also wanted to just mention briefly um podcast promo on twitter did a really awesome long review of our podcast total surprised us too i know you total- sent me that and i was like Total oh. fucking surprise. And it was probably the nicest review it really I have was. ever heard. Yeah. Um, but we'll put the link up there and you guys can read it yourself. It's pretty long. It's like a really detailed review, but they review all these smaller, kind of more independently run podcasts. Yeah. To kind of help promote them and get the word out that there's so much content out there to listen to. So it was just something really nice to read for, you know, 
our podcast just being like, wow, we don't. It was like, oh my God, we're not terrible. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was very cool. It was very cool. It was amazing. So thank you guys so much uh, at Podcast Promo on Twitter. Thanks, guys. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more like this at thebadtastecrimecast.com. I'm sorry, badtastecrimecast.com. No, the. If you enjoy this episode, there are a couple things you can do. First, you can go to our iTunes page and leave a review. We don't pay to advertise the show, and that's really, it seems to be like the only way to get anywhere in Mm -hmm. the ratings. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for. Set up by society and the man. Yeah, for you guys, our Patreon supporters, our our one wonderful sponsor, Studio. Yes. Like, we wouldn't be able to do this, guys. Yeah. It is. Podcasts are rough, man. You don't even know all the stuff that has to go into it. (laughs) It's so true. Uh, Secondly, you can um, visit our social media accounts. Facebook and Instagram, The Bad Taste Crime Cast. On Twitter, at BT Crime Cast. And share an episode with your friends. Yeah. Just, I mean, maybe not one of the gory episodes. Maybe (laughs) start them off with something something a little lighter. And I just want to say thank you, Vicky, (sighs) for being a friend. No. (laughs) Thank you for being a crank. (laughs) Going on this wonderful podcast journey. Oh my God, Janelle, stop. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I want to thank everyone, Tiff, Jason, all you guys. Thank you guys so much. Ten more years. I can't believe that. It's seriously really crazy. A year ago, I don't think... I would have thought we would be where we're at now. Um, Not that we are, you know, the most famous people in the entire world. We'd absolutely 100% do this for fun because we enjoy doing it. And it's nice to know um, something that we've put so much work into in the last year is like doing okay. Like people enjoy it. And that's all that matters. What do they say if if it's not successful in the first five years? Like. Keep going. Oh, so we still got five years before we can claim being unsuccessful. Oh, four Four years. years. Oh, shit. If we make it to five years, then you're considered a success. If you fail before five years, this is like business talk. Oh. If you fail before five years, then it was never a business model in the first place. Four years to fuck it all up. Four more years. Four Four more more beers. Yes. Four more glasses of champagne. Holla. Uh, One last reminder before we get going. Check out studio.com. S-U-D. I-O.com. Use coupon code CRIMECAST to get 15% off your order. Uh, do you have anything else? That's <laughs> I it, just yeah. want to sing it every time. Studio. Um, <laughs> yeah, guys. On that note, happy anniversary. <laughs> we want to give a very, very special thanks to Tiff Weech for our sound and editing and to Jason Zakchevsky, The Enigma, for our music. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> anniversary horn (laughs) uh on that note uh i'm vicky i'm janelle we're the bad taste crime cast and we'll see you next time thanks guys bye We are all people in some form or another. 
Hey guys, this is Janelle with the Bad Taste Crime Cast. Thank you so much for staying after the episode. We're here to announce our winner of our iTunes review. Thanks to everybody who sent in a review and well wishes and messages on Twitter and Facebook. We thank you guys so much. We wouldn't be here without you. So the winner of the iTunes review and a free Bad Taste Crime Cast t-shirt is Alkaline B. Thank you so much, Alkaline B, for sending in your review to iTunes. You are the winner. Thanks, guys.